Do you know that the Lord takes us at our word the way he wants us to take him at his word? So tonight we sang, I will give you... Oh, I'm not supposed to sing in public. I forgot. My wife told me. <laughs> but sometimes it's necessary. Do you know what you promised God tonight? You said, I will seek you all my days. I will follow all your ways. Did you mean that or were you lying to God? I told you he takes us at our word the way he wants us to take him at his word. That's why we put the words on the screen so you can decide whether you mean it or not. And if you don't mean it, don't sing it. Otherwise, you might be getting leanness to your soul because you're making promises to God you didn't intend to keep. Do you know what else you promised God in that song tonight? It's too bad you already, you already promised. You can't take it back. <laughs> you said, I will give you everything. So don't get mad when he takes something. Every time we sing that song, I will give you all my worship, I cringe. And I have to evaluate, do I mean what I'm singing? So just, that's free tonight, okay? <laughs> Would you open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It starts out this way, if I can read it. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Let me tell you what this word perilous means in the Greek. Harsh, savage, difficult, dangerous, painful, fierce, grievous, hard to deal with. The word describes a society that is barren of virtue but abounding with vices. Kind of sounds like now, doesn't it? Look at what we are told here is characteristic of this difficult time. We'll love ourselves and our money. We'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to our parents, which is a way of saying rejects authority, ungrateful, consider nothing sacred, unloving, and the Amplified English Bible says without natural human affection. Unforgiving, we'll be slandering others. In other words, we'll be troublemakers. No self-control, cruel, hate what is good, betray our friends, reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure, and the Amplified says loose in morals. Act religious, reject the Holy Spirit, will have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. That's a lot to look forward to, isn't it? So that tonight, what I want to talk to you about is something very simple. Because the Lord had been speaking to me about the difficult times, because we're in it. I'm sure you know that persecution against Christians has gotten to a genocide level in many parts of the world. If you haven't read about it, just keep your eyes open on Facebook and it's there. They're telling us about it. 
That's how difficult the days that we're living. You and I may not have personally faced it yet, but there are millions of brothers and sisters in the world who are today facing that kind of persecution. And so this verse that I've just read, they're already beginning to live out in their lives. Many have lost their lives. We've probably had more martyrs in the last 10 years than maybe in the whole church history combined with the way things are going. So the challenge for you and me is, how are we going to be victorious survivors in the last days? If these are the last days. Or, if not the last days, we're in perilous times to be a Christian in this day. Winky Prattney, I'm sure you know who he is. The Kiwi who's traveled the world for longer than me. He said, sin is never natural. It is horribly unnatural. Sin is never human. It is horribly inhuman. Sin creates remorse, guilt, and shame. Every time a person feels these three witnesses in his soul, they tell him or her sin is not natural. Even the simplest lie detector can tell us this. The whole body reacts adversely when a person sins. Sin is, in fact, a kind of insanity. So the question is, how do we continue to deal with our sin in the midst of a depraved generation? You know, I like something that Dean Sherman always said when he said that nobody in the Charlie Church had a Christian background. And yet they survived victoriously in the midst of a perverse generation. And it was difficult, and a lot lost their lives. Remember, it says in Daniel chapter 12, at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. He was prophesying, such as never was since there was a nation. So the question for us is, because it's certain going to happen, the scripture tells us, and more places than here in Timothy, Paul prophesies it, Daniel prophesies it, and we know. But we want to be victorious because we have a promise from God that we'll have a global harvest of souls. So in the midst of difficulty, we can see victory. Even in the midst of persecution, we can see, become overcomers. Well, I want to read a few verses to you, and then I'm going to tell you a story. It tell, we're told... That the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's the human heart. Jeremiah told us that in chapter 17, verse 9. We're told in Proverbs 20, 27, the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit in exposing every hidden motive. In Proverbs 21, we read verse 3, People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, St. Paul writes, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. 
I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. In 1974, May the 1st, May Day, there was a YWAM team who were heading into Leningrad, Russia for the purpose of getting arrested by the secret police, the KGB, in order to witness to the KGB. That was their mission. So Joy Dawson, the international Bible teacher, the Kiwi, was with me and my staff in Denmark, and she joined us for that day of prayer as we prayed for the team going into Russia to get arrested to witness to the KGB. If you want to read about it, it's a book called Roadblock to Moscow by Nick Savoka. was the book written about their adventure. During that day of prayer with joy, the Lord spoke to us and confirmed without a shadow of a doubt that the Iron Curtain would come down, that it would collapse. When it did come down several years later, Joy Dawson was asked, were you surprised? She said, no, just that it took so long. So the next day, she was still with us, so I invited her to join us for our time of prayer, and I asked her to lead us. Now, this is supposed to encourage you, <clears throat> because Joy Dawson is the great guru of intercessory prayer, and she was leading us, and we had total confusion. Be encouraged. <laughs> Three times, we tried to get clarity. Have you ever been in intercession when you all got different topics and the second time around, you got the same talkies, but everybody got something different. <laughs> and then we tried the third time, and we still got the same topics, but everybody else got something different. And so we didn't get anywhere. And she said, finally, well, the only explanation here is there's some unconfessed sin in this group. And I said, well, I'm the leader. It's probably me. <laughs> and it was. She pulled me aside, pulled out a bony prophetic finger, and said to me, Paul Hawkins, there's a deep root of pride in your heart, and you better get it out. I could receive that strong rebuke from her because I knew how much she loved me. She had a nickname for all of us YWAM leaders back in the early 70s. No, don't ask. I won't tell you. <laughs> and I thought, well, confessing, I have pride like confessing a nose. Everybody's got one. Would you find it difficult to come and stand in front of this group of people tonight and say, I have a confession to make? I have a nose. <laughs> no, because everybody's got one. Different sizes and shapes, of course, but hey. We've all got pride in one form or another, so I thought, well, confessing I have pride, like con I have, confessing I have a nose, everybody's got one. But then I thought to myself, but the woman of God said it's there, so it's got to be there. So I decided to take her seriously, and I spent 30 days in fasting and prayer trying to see the pride, and I saw absolutely nothing. <laughs> Not even a smidgen of pride. Well, then we had a leadership conference in Japan. You may have heard about it. I don't know whether Pete was there or not. Uh, no, he wouldn't have been, because he came later. It was an eight-day dirt-in-the-face conference. Do you know what a dirt-in-the-face conference is? That's when you spend eight days with your faces in the carpet or the dirt. They may vacuum the carpet, but there's still dirt in it. <laughs> in fact, we were outside one day when the power of God came. 
And I promise you, when the power of God comes, you care nothing about your clothes. God was raking us over the coals. He said to us as YWAM leaders, I have no intentions of multiplying you as you are. I will only multiply you as I want you to be. We were not breaking through to the degree that Lauren and Joy Dawson believe we should. So Lauren got up one evening and he said, Joy and I have agreed that we will intercede all night for anyone who will seek God for a revelation of their heart as he sees it. And I thought, man, if I can get those two heavies to pray for me, something's bound to happen. Because remember, I'd fasted and prayed for 30 days to see the pride, and I saw nothing. And if they're going to pray, then something's bound to happen. So we started praying at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, God, show me my heart. There's got to be pride there. Show it to me, oh, God. And by 2 o'clock in the morning, I'd seen absolutely nothing. I got a little nervous. So I went and knocked on the door where Lauren and Joy were praying, and I said, may I speak to you? And they said, yes. And when I sat down, Joy said to me, Paul, can I ask you some questions? I said, sure. She said, do you resist doing little things around the house for your wife? No. And I listed things that I thought I did that I didn't think the average husband did. And she asked some more questions, and the answer was no to all of them. She said, well, I guess we can't help you. You better go back and pray some more. So by 3 o'clock in the morning, everybody else got what they want or quit, and there's old Hawkins. Oh, God, show me my heart. I mean, I'm desperate because I'm not on my own. I got help, but nothing's happening. And Lauren came in 3 o'clock in the morning and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Paul, may we speak to you a moment? So I went and sat down in the room, and I began to shiver. Now, it was early October near Kyoto, Japan, and I was shivering because I thought it was cold, but that wasn't the reason. And I began to shiver. And Lauren said, Paul, when you were here an hour ago, I got very tired. And I said to Joy, I am so tired. And I've been fine all night. She said, I am too. Let's ask God why. And Paul, we asked God and he told us you lied to us. <clears throat> if there's two people in the whole world you never want to lie to, it's London Cunningham and Joy Dawson. <laughs> I was smart enough to know that. But if there were two people in the whole world I wanted to impress on how spiritual I was, it was Lord Cunningham and Joy Dawson. I thought I told the truth, honestly. I don't go around lying. But the pride was so deep entwined in my heart in roots that I had to lie to the two people I wanted to most impress how spiritual I was. And so I cooperated. I said, you're right, I lied. Would you please forgive me? Heavenly Father, would you forgive me? And because they loved me, they forgave me, and they prayed for me. And I walked out of the room, cut wide open, bleeding all over the place. Now, you know, I don't mean literally. <laughs> and I thought, to, they didn't even bother to sew me back up again. They just left me cut open, exposed. And I'm wandering out of the room going, why did you do that? That is the stupidest thing you've ever done in your whole life. Why? And way, way, way back in my mind was the thought it had something to do with my father. Well, I didn't know what that meant. On the way back to Denmark, where I was leader of a YWAM base, I stopped in California to see my parents. 
And I said to my father, who's not a believer, I want to ask your forgiveness because the pride of my heart has hindered our relationship. You see, I could ride alone with my father in a car for hours and I could never think of anything to talk about. People who know me have a hard time believing that, except it was true. I just had nothing to say. Oh, at dinner, he'd say, pass the salt, and I'd pass the salt. There wasn't any rebellion in my relationship, at least not consciously. He'd say, how's school? I'd say, fine. Don't forget the job you got to do on Saturday. I won't forget. But that's just survival communication. That's not communication that builds relationships. So I got back to Denmark. My dad didn't know what I meant, neither did I, but he forgave me anyway. We had a school going. We had so many miracles, it was amazing. You know, the scripture says, when you humble yourself, God will exalt you. I had a level of anointing I never had before because I had said everything I knew to say, but it wasn't enough, it turned out. And that school finished, miracle after miracle, and then we started another school, and one day, we're in worship, and the Lord begins to move, and people begin to confess their sins. A young man over here stands up named Bob and said, please pray for me. He said, my parents divorced when I was an infant. I've never lived with my father. I know it affects my relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, there had been no teaching on the Father heart of God until six months after that. It exploded on the church worldwide in late 73, early 74, but this is early 73. You guys grew up with it, but we didn't have it then. And I went over to pray for him, and my words turned like uh, the father speaking to his son and melted Bob right into the father's heart. That's where my teaching on the father heart of God originated, because I listened to my own prayers. A young Danish woman stood up and says, please pray for me. I have many problems. As one tear fell down her cheek. And because of what happened, you know that she was confessing everything she knew to confess because of how the Holy Spirit responded. And I felt I should go pray for her. I wasn't the only one praying. And one of them stood next to her and put my hand on her shoulder, and all I could think of was bicycle. Oh, well, that's really spiritual. <laughs> but I thought, what have I got to lose? So I said to her, uh, does bicycle mean anything to you? And she burst into tears and began to sob and sob and sob. And when she got control of her emotions, she said, when I was a little girl riding a bicycle here in Denmark, one day the handlebars turned and penetrated into my female organ. And I've lived in fear from that day forward that I could be a normal woman with a husband and children. And she got set free that day because somebody dared say, does bicycle mean anything to you? Her roommate said she was transformed from that day forward. So I went over and sat down waiting for the next person to get moved on by the Holy Ghost, you know, consent, confession. And all of a sudden, something starts in me. And I know it's in the form of confession of sin. And I'm to let it out. And the first thing I confessed was intellectual pride towards my father. See, I have seven years of university. My father didn't finish high school. One of his lifetime goals was to put his only son through university, which he did. I'm the first person on both sides of my family to ever complete university. My heart, not my head, my heart said, you are intellectually superior to him. You have nothing to say to him. That's why I could ride in a car alone for hours, and I couldn't think of anything to talk about. They told me when I was three years old, I was so precocious, I could carry on an adult conversation with any adult on any subject, but I had nothing to say to Dad. The next thing I confessed was spiritual pride towards my father. 
I became a believer when I was 10 years old. My father had never been a believer. My heart, not to my head, my heart said, you are spiritually superior to him. After all, how can the natural man discern the things of the spirit? Third thing I confessed was the fear of not being approved of of my father. I knew he approved of me. He just couldn't tell me. But I wanted him to tell me and tell me a lot because that fed the ego. He would tell others who'd come and tell me, but I wanted him to say it to my face. I never thought these things before. And I had to write my dad a letter and say, now I know what I meant when I said the pride of my heart has hindered our relationship. And I explained the intellectual pride and how it manifested in my relationship with him or my lack of relationship. I confessed the spiritual pride and how that manifested in our relationship and the fear of not being approved of and how that manifested in our relationship. He never answered the letter, but that's okay. I'm sure the letter was hidden in a sock drawer someplace. Two weeks later, I'm praying for my father, and I began to see all the reasons I had for the, to be grateful for the father that I had, even though he'd never been a believer. You see, I had been embarrassed because of my I was ashamed of my father. I was something of an intellectual, and I felt I deserved a father who was a, a doctor or a lawyer or, or at least a school teacher or a preacher. My father was a skilled laborer. He was an electrician. And so I was embarrassed. And in church, because my dad wasn't a believer, we never got invited out to dinner on Sunday by the pastor because dad wasn't there. I always felt like I was on the edge of the in-group. I was never in the in-group because dad wasn't a leader. So I felt I deserved a father who was a spiritual leader. And so I was ashamed. And then, when I got the pride exposed, I saw all the reasons I had to be grateful for the father that I had. He was not a believer. But you know what? He never broke a promise to me that I can remember. He was a faithful provider. He was just in discipline. The only problem that we had was that we never talked. So guess what my biggest problem with God was for the first 21 years as a Christian? We never talked. I can trust God for day-to-day provision because a father is one who provides. Not only needs, but also surprises. And I believe the promises because I grew up with a father who always kept promises. But we never talked. Joy Dawson had taught us in one of her teachings, it's important that you go to God and say, Heavenly Father, show me my heart as you see it. Remember the prophet Jeremiah said, the human heart is desperately wicked who can know it. The Lord looks at our motives. He looks at our heart. And whenever you see your heart as God sees it, it's never pretty. You'll need tissue. You're going to cry. And repentance will be automatic. That day in Denmark, May the 2nd, 1974, started something in my life that has changed my life up until this day because it set me on a journey to find out what was really in my heart. Ungratefulness, shame, judgment, all got exposed because I said to God, show me my heart as you see it. Most of us here don't have 
a prophetess like Joy Dawson that comes up and sticks her finger in your face and said, you better get the pride exposed because it's there. But you know what? You can do it on your own. You can start to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, show me my heart as you see it. And when you see it and you repent, and it's always, the repentance is always automatic, that will set you in place in these perilous times that you don't compromise, that you don't run away, but you run in closer to his heart. Do you know why most Christians only sing about intimacy with Jesus but never really want it? It's too expensive. See, when you, when you live up to all the light you have, when you do all that you know is right, it automatically draws you closer to the loving heart of God. But when you get closer to the loving heart of God, you also get closer to the light. And when you get closer to the light, what happens? More dirt shows up. Ever wash the window in the shade and when the sun shone on it, you discover you didn't clean it, you just move the dirt around? As you're obedient to that light, it draws you closer to the loving heart of God. But now closer to the loving heart of God, now you're even closer to the light. Now even more dirt shows up. It's the process of sanctification, being changed from glory to glory. It's worth it. It's very expensive. It'll cost you your pride and your unbelief and your anger and your lust, your bitterness, your jealousy, your covetousness. So it's very expensive. That's why most Christians in the world will sing about intimacy, but don't really want it. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to the light. And you can accelerate that process in your life. I was asked this week in one of the meetings that I spoke at, talk to us about how you can accelerate growth. And I said some things, but because I already knew what I was going to talk about tonight. Because this will accelerate growth. Remember, our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? He wants to reveal the motives of our heart. Would you bow your heads? You don't have to be afraid because we have a loving, holy, wise, faithful, just, merciful, gracious, good, kind, forgiving God. He already knows what's there anyway. So there's no surprises for him. It only surprises us when we find out what is there. When we are born again, he starts the process. The cross is adequate, but we don't allow the cross to be fully adequate. We stop the process. And so I, as your heads are closed, your heads are bowed in your, and tonight, I would like you, if you are interested... To stand where you are in a moment and initiate this process by praying that prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, show me my heart as you see it. I tell you, if we do that and are serious, we're quite likely to have revival around here. And who knows what God will do as he sends us out of here to the nations. Maybe that globe of a harvest of souls will start right here with us tonight. We never know. So just take a moment to count the cost. 
I began tonight by saying God takes us at our word the way he wants us to take him at his word. So don't do it because your friend's doing it. Only do it because you've counted the cost and you genuinely want to see what's there that, might, that you might have a more intimate relationship with Jesus. When you're ready, stand, pray the prayer, and then feel free to sit down.